0: Yes. Yeah. We're firing it up. We're going to get it going. Oh, what a nice, oh, yeah. nice guy you are. I'll try to be. Welcome to Practical Shooting After Dark. We're here to talk about shooting. On deck today, we've Got uh got Mr. Kim. Uh And Mr. Park. Hello. It's always nice to have the Korean brothers on.
1: Indeed we are. Yes.
0: <laughs> All right. You guys know the deal. Everybody comes with a topic, something to talk about. Mr. Park, why don't you go first? Why don't you lead off?
1: All right. Well, it's a real spicy topic, Ben.
0: Well, you have my, yeah, you had my curiosity, but now you have my attention. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> what?
1: what? Uh, that's Leonardo DiCaprio. Is that a uh, Django? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that movie for a while. i oh, Um. Well, it's actually a business stuff. Go figure. Um. So, uh, I get a lot of questions. I organize classes for Ben at my range every year. <laughs> And I always get questions about kind of how I do it or, you know, it, it seems like controlled chaos, but once you do it a few times, it's actually not that tough. Um, so I kind of want to talk about just how it works and how I've made it to be pretty easy for me anyway. And Ben can chime in where he wants to. But uh, kind of the way it works, I mean, it's a relationship between the instructor and the organizer. In a way, uh, Ben works for me, not like he's going to mow my yard, but I mean, Ben needs me there. And I need Ben there if I want to take a class. So it kind of works out well for both of us. And I want to set up the class and have it organized in a way that it's not a total headache that Ben wants to come back. And I also see it as I'm kind of obligated to make sure the people that are trusting me and signing up for the class have a good time, that the instructor's there, they have all the targets, the pasters, all the supplies that you know they expect, they're trusting me to have there so they can take the class and learn a lot from it.
0: Well, can we talk about why having a class organizer is a good system?
1: Sure, that's a good place to start.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, what what we mean by that is like the way it works. If you want me or Joel or Juanse, any any of us, uh, to to come and do a class, is like there's some guy, some contact person, whoever that is, who becomes the class organizer. So it's like if somebody wants me to come to a class, um, they can organize the class. To, they go to their range like, hey, can we do this thing? Like, what are the requirements? Um, they they do the registration, so they they you know handle like money from students and that kind of stuff. And the reason that's a good system is is twofold. So number one, for me, obviously that's that as an instructor, there's less stuff I need to do. But then. I mean, but that's just the beginning of it. Right. I mean, it makes uh-huh. it easy. It makes it easy for the instructor. I will be honest about that. But it also makes it sort of possible. So what I mean is it's the way that shooting ranges function. Most ranges, if I just cold call them and say, hey, can I do a, a class at your range at on these dates or whatever? It's like,
1: you know, yeah, that's, who are you? And probably yeah,
0: not. that that's tough to do. So the organizer, maybe they are on the board, or they're hooked up at their club, or they know the right they 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 know the people to talk to at their club to make it happen. Mm-hmm. It's difficult from a thousand miles away to make it happen.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. So kind of briefly, just going through the steps. Like obviously, Ben's my homeboy, and I talk to him often, but I still send him an email just because it's easy for him to track it. So, well, I track
0: all my all my class communications via email.
1: Yes, yeah, so because
0: like, it's searchable so I can
1: find what's going on. Exactly. It's so like Ben is my homeboy, but I'm not going to send it to him on Messenger or a phone call or something. It'll be like through email and it's, hey, Ben, can you do a class on these dates? Mm-hmm. Ben gets back to me. Yep, I'm available for those dates. Like, okay, cool. Then I, like what Ben said, I talk to my range to get access, whatever I need, whether it's uh, you have to attend a board meeting or, you know, whatever, whatever hoops the BOCs have you jump through. But basically to get approval. Uh, And you need to find out if they're going to charge a range fee. That's also important. So the next question that I get quite often is how to know what to charge. So I've already asked Ben. He's okay with the date. The range is cool with it. Okay, Ben, what do we charge per person? Ben gives me an amount of whatever the tuition is per person. I add in the range fee. And then I figure out from Ben, or if I've done classes before, how many total targets, pasters, if I need like spray paint, Whatever supplies I need, I divide that by the number of students, and that's going to give me a cost per person. So everyone's paying, you know, five bucks for targets and two bucks for paces, whatever it is. Um, uh, let's see, I got notes. So I don't I don't forget anything. And then if I have any additional questions for Ben, I'm gonna ask it at that time. Like, Ben, I have to supply my own targets. He'd be like, Yes. Okay, or whatever. So I know exactly what I'm getting myself into and everything's prepared. You know, so we're both on the same page, so to speak. There's no surprises. I don't assume anything. Um, and then I just create an Excel list uh, for each class I'm doing if it's multiple classes, but I don't take money in advance at all. That's an absolute hard no if it's like a year out or something like that. Um, so I create an Excel list, and then I get to be a few months out, maybe two or three, uh, I've got an Excel list full of students. I'll just message them hey, you know, hey, Kim, I'm still, we're doing that class, this and this date, are you still in? Uh, and then at that point, if the person's still interested, then okay, you get tuition and then they're actually on the list as, you know, being in the class. Because otherwise, I mean, people are really excited about it. Let's say eight months out. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely down. I want to go to that class. But I mean, they could have a kid. They could have a different job. They could be living in a different state. Like, who knows? So I'm not going to collect money from people so far out because that just makes a headache for me because I'm going to have to refund their money and, you know, let people hang on to that. Their money for that amount of time. So anyway, uh, a couple months out, I start getting you know like rounding up people. Are you still interested? Yes or no. If not, maybe I'll have openings. Um, and then when Ben comes to my range, he gets just one payment, whether it's cash, check, whatever. Ben just gets all the all of his uh, the money for tuition from the class organizer in one lump sum. So he's not like you know chasing people around the range or something like that. So it makes it very easy for Ben, and then I'm organized on my side where. I already know who's paid and everything. The target's already ordered. Should I mentioned that? The target's already ordered, those came to my house. So I've got all the supplies there when the instructor shows up. Ben turns up and all he has to do is just teach. Everything else is handled. That's not yeah. fair, Ben.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, it's a pretty good system.
1: Um, and then it's nice to have that relationship. Well, Ben, I mean, if we weren't friends, we let's say we'd, what, maybe four years have been classes for you. Like if mm-hmm. I if I you if I to come out for a class, it's pretty safe for you to know that like we're going to have targets, that things are going to be the way they expect you to be, right? Or the way you expect yes. them to be. So that's a good relationship. And then if you want to have, you know, Ben back or Kim back the next time, you kind of have a system they already know you, and it just, it makes things pretty easy, so.
0: Yes, the organi- so uh, I guess that what I would add to this, if you're one of the people, because I see these messages a lot, like, hey, are you coming to XYZ place to do a class? Yeah. The answer is no. I'm probably not. Uh, if you want me to come to a place near you to organize a class or tell someone else to organize it, because it's like I I don't I don't drive this. People come to me if they want me to do a class. I mean, you you guys know me. I'm not. You on, go where the work on, is. Yeah, I'm not aggressively pushing this stuff on anybody. So it's a. I'm I'm always happy to do classes, but uh, the organizers are the ones that really make it happen and of free. course the organizers don't pay for the class so it's not
1: oh I should not, have mentioned that yeah, yeah it's not so, horrible for them no so you shoot for free so all you have is yeah. just a little bit of hassle of collecting the money and getting approval um yeah then also I guess a little bit of business stuff uh also on Ben's site it's like uh take a class page I created a word document that has just some frequently asked questions and kind of a little template I made up if that's helpful to you so kind of just an easy cheat sheet for whether it's you're having Vogel, JJ, whoever. I mean, you could follow the same formula. So just for a class organizer, kind of an easy cheat sheet and things to think about. Um, And then on Ben's site, there's also a take a class. So I get, I mean, Ben, I was just messaging you this morning about this. I'm getting emails probably, you know, every couple of days where somebody's interested in taking a class. So if you're worried about filling a class, um, I would say, you know, just through the interwebs, uh, you know, people will find the class and they'll, They'll want to show up, so don't feel like you have to have 8 or 10 people or, you know, 12 people, whatever, already like lined up cash in hand before you schedule a class. Then I guess the last piece, I know, just when you thought it was over, uh, Ben and I are doing classes also together this year. I've already got a couple of those on the calendar and I think a couple in the works. So anyway, if you're interested in having a Ben and Joel class or just a Ben class, whatever, um, message us.
2: What about just a Joel class?
1: That's fine too. I do those also, people can travel to me and I do classes here at my place. Uh,
2: one thing one thing I've seen from my group class too, so I follow the same system, right? And uh, oftentimes the organizers wanted to do private class as well. Mm-hmm. So they would take the class, the group class, and then uh, they already like asked me, hey, uh, the day after the group class, uh would you teach me as a pr- private class too so like i've done many times where i teach a group class and him and i or it, it could be like two people before i've done it uh they wanted to like really hammer it down get seriously get trained up so like the whole day uh just three of us or two of us training private class this is something that organizers can uh definitely look into too like take a group class and through the group class yeah, you're gonna be learning a lot, but through private class, it's gonna be a lot more one-on-one, a lot more personalized uh, advices too. Yes.
1: yes. Oh, last thing, just when you thought, Wow, maybe it'll be over after this one. Uh, if enough. like, so like when Ben's coming to my place, he'll be doing skills and drills and fundamentals. A lot of people are really amped up and wanna train. They think about taking both classes back to back. If you want to, that's cool. What I would say to really anyone, uh, at any skill level, is one two-day class will give you plenty of takeaways and things to take back to your training. So, uh, I mean, regardless of skill level, one class is going to be enough to give you plenty of homework. Ben, I'm not trying to talk you out of money, but just. <laughs> I, I
0: well, I think no, that's, you're right. I mean, four days in a row is a lot uh, for most people, and you—if you're really motivated or you know you, you're good physical shape. You can do it. Um, a lot of guys are really dragging after they do that. Mm-hmm. Stuff is hurting,
1: especially if their hands aren't used to that much. they don't totally train regularly.
0: It's their hands, their legs from being on their feet all day, maybe it's hot out and they're getting mm-hmm. you know beat up that way. It's yeah. a lot.
1: So one two day class will give you, regardless if it's either these guys or me whatever, like you'll have enough takeaways that don't feel like you have to sign up for you know two classes or four days.
0: Oh this is a little reminder. I I like to uh you just reminded me. I have a very aggressive trip schedule coming up this month which I'll tell you guys about right now because it makes me giggle a little bit.
1: Oh
0: uh, I'm going to Camp Pendleton. I'll be there for 5 days, Monday through Friday for okay. training with those with those guys and then I have a class in Miami Saturday Sunday that same week. Camp Pendleton's in California.
1: I'm aware.
0: <laughs> so the only way to make this travel magic work out is I'm going to be boarding a flight at 10 p.m. in L.A. and landing at uh, 5 a.m. in Miami. So I <laughs> I, uh, I booked uh, – I have to fly American Airlines, which I don't ever do. So I booked, like, the first-class bed seat. So mm-hmm. I'll just sleep on the plane and then mm-hmm. start class on Saturday. You like that, Joel? Does that sound fun to you? Sounds
1: awful. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, yeah, plus the logistics of having enough clothing, ammo whatever, you'll be heading up Walmart there to get the rest of the garbage you need. That's going to yeah, be so, uh yeah, busy.
0: For, for you guys to do classes, two classes in a row, I feel you, that that can suck. I have a feeling this is going to suck worse. <laughs>
1: that will be a lot, sir.
0: Yeah, this should be a good time.
2: Let's move on, Mr. Kim. Yes, yes. Tell
0: me something good, man.
2: So I have two tips for people who's reloading. A uh, long time ago in the podcast, I mentioned I used a turf to collect breasts. Um, and then I was wondering, because uh, Joel was using the breast chute or whatever mm-hmm. it's called.
1: Yeah, yep. right? the CD, yeah. Uh, Pro Shop sells those.
2: Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. And then uh, around Thanksgiving, I was going to buy one, but it was out of stock. So I wanted to look into something else. And then there was just a regular mat that was also sold out. So I just went to Amazon and I bought a mosquito net. Okay. Yes quite large uh, I think it's a about four four yards so like 12 by 12 uh, feet so it's quite large but it was only like 12 bucks I think okay so the turf the issue with the turf to catch the brass is in Washington it rains a lot uh, things like that can happen so it can gather all the water so mosquito net will filter out all of that So in the winter time most of the shooting I do in the range is stationary shooting like only a couple targets. So it's really helpful to just collect and just, you know, like gather the brass in maybe two minutes, very quick, just put it in a Ziploc bag or ammo can, whatever. Mm -hmm. So people who's just picking up the brass and maybe look at yourself. If you're doing a lot of the stationary stuff, build drill doubles, confirmation drill, things like that, designated targets, then just try to uh, get get a mosquito net. It's really working well. Uh, it's a, mine is a little bit of plasticky material. So I was worried if, if the hot breast going to melt it, but they, it's not happening. So that's working really well. And then the second one is a lot of people probably use like a Hornady, uh, what, what's called Hornady one shot, Hornady one shot lube Yep. Mm-hmm. or the case lube. I use that stuff. Yep. Yes. I used to use that and that gets the breast really slick. And like when you load your magazine, your hands get oily. And like everything can get really dirty, I found some magic sauce for this. It's a oh. very, very good magic sauce. So, vi- video watchers, what That's I'm not holding
0: is—it's
2: a lube.
1: <laughs> oh, Ben.
2: It's a dry lube. What are you trying to say, Joel?
1: Nothing. Don't interrupt the so professor.
2: This is called Liquid Ranch Dry Lube. Okay. Also from Amazon. Dang, I'm buying everything from Amazon nowadays. You are. Yeah. So this dry lube. It's pretty amazing. Uh, so what I do is I actually don't spray on it directly onto the breast. I actually spray it into the uh, sizing die. So you know, sizing die has a decapping pin and all that. Just mm-hmm. aim on that, uh, aim on that uh, the opening, and mm-hmm. then just yeah, spray a couple times, like twice. This is a dry loop. So uh, the first time I tried with the one shot, the issue was the ca- inside the case it'll liquid up. So there will be water or the oil in the casing. So what that did is it'll make the powder wet, which, oh. is, which can be really a problem. Now the dry loop is not getting any breast wet, but it's super slick. So your breast runs like a butter. Oh, cool. Yes. This is something that I found working extremely well. Uh, but again, you, you have to like reapply that every maybe 100 rounds or maybe so, maybe less, more or less. So you just spray a couple times and then run, and then when when it gets sticky, uh, you spray more, one more time. Uh, that's really amazing so far.
1: Oh, okay, mm-hmm.
2: that's one way to do it. Uh,
1: if anyone's using the one shot, definitely don't spray that stuff on the cases until they get wet. Just like just a little bit, a uh, a couple passes and do a little it's shake. Not what and you told and... me to do. <laughs> I know Ben. Ben, you wouldn't follow directions anyway. What are you talking about?
2: Can't follow what I
1: don't read, Joel. You know
2: that. <laughs>
1: So oh, I clean magazines there. with
2: this, too. I clean really? magazines with this, yes. I actually what? bought it in the in the purpose of getting the magazine drop free. Like block the, magazines, uh, Kim? Uh, I haven't used it in a plastic. But my Walther in the wet situation, I had a magazine hung up one time because okay. of the water. Sure. So I, I, I bought this. And I started using this for the magazine because somebody recommended me a silicone lube. So I bought both silicone lube and dry lube from the same company. The silicon lube is also like a liquid base, but the dry lube doesn't leave any of the things that goes into your hand. So your okay. hands can be really, you know, staying the same texture, no oily hands, anything.
1: so smart. Yeah, I just use the silicon lube because that's what I think my friend John, well, Mr. Anderson told me to use, so I just use that. Mm. But, oh, very cool. Uh, ben, Mr. A topic? Mr.
0: Anderson's a guy that I would listen to. Uh, yeah, I like do have him. a topic. Yes. Uh, Maybe, a, I don't know, maybe just call it a rant. I don't know, oh, but boy. it is definitely a time. Don't worry. Don't worry, Joel. This is, this is about shooting.
1: Should I just not- say listeners, do the listeners, I'm- if you have a question part now?
0: No, no, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> talking about the board or the BOCs or any of that oh, shit. Oh, okay.
1: All right. Sorry. Forgive no, me. Please no. proceed.
0: All right. So uh, this this struck me as I was, as was doing video reviews today, like how much I see this particular pattern. So it, it does bear mentioning. Uh, there's... A lot of guys out there that practice a lot. They're willing to put in the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would say, I mean, they they practice, they do reps, they I mean, they try to learn all this stuff. Like these are the guys that listen to this podcast, and they're training group guys, like they want to be better. Yeah. So th- there's a big community of guys that want to be better. Now, we've talked for years about the uh, there's there's hosers, there's mm-hmm. turtles, there's different sort of fundamental personality types. Um, so I want to talk about turtles for a minute. Um, okay. so as you train, uh, as you get better, your technique smooths out, you get your technique right. Like, let's say you're doing a fishing draw, you know, and you uh-huh. get in your, are uh, you're like, okay, I'm fishing. That's bad. It's like a second and a half to the first shot. You correct your technique a little bit, then it's, all right, it's 1.2 seconds for the first shot at, at whatever distance, as an example. So these guys train, they put in the time, put in the effort, put in the reps and get their technique pretty good. But then they're not quite where they need to be as far as the speed. So instead of drawing quickly, it's like a 1.2 second draw. It's like quarter second splits inside of 10 yards. It's like 40 splits or 50 splits at distance shooting confirmation three. So they, what I'm saying is they get good, but they, they stay f- very much in a comfort zone. And I would say they're coloring inside the lines all the time. You know what I mean?
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, tidy shooting.
0: Yeah. And what those people need to do is that once you get to a point where you can execute what you're doing consistently, like 90% of the time, it, it's, it's, it's fine. It just, it, it's what it's, it's the standard you're training to it's time to raise the standard. If you want to be better. And I think that's very hard for people to do. You have to give yourself permission to make mistakes. Really, really, really start pushing yourself and uh, understand that you're going to shoot a lot of misses on the way to learning how to shoot fast and that that's OK. I went through this myself. Like I had to do the same thing. So, yep. I mean, I feel like the, the the message is worth repeating occasionally.
1: I like it. Um, ben, if somebody decides it's time to start pushing, what yes. advice would you give them? Because uh, I think some people go to, like, 500% from yeah. their – like, they're comfortable so with it, that makes sense.
0: The rule for me, like, the rule I use is if I see – if I can see the mistakes happening or I, I understand the mistakes that I'm making as I'm making them, then I'm okay to push at that speed. If I'm shooting and I have no idea where the bullets are going, um, I you need to back off because that's not productive. That's just trying to make a number – happen or a time happen or whatever yes. that's not good but it, it, you want to shoot faster than your you feel you can shoot but not so fast you can't see or assess what's happening anymore that's that's as far that's that's like the training zone is where you can like see that. and assess
1: your mistakes <laughs> that's an easy way to it's a explain very it. good advice yeah. yes
0: all right guys let's take a question last podcast you want to mention nine stages in four hours in an IPSC match what exactly do they do to make that awesome time? And how the hell can I shoot majors that only take four hours? Sounds like fantasy. I almost don't believe you.
2: Well, oh, first of all, only nine? In IPSC, nine in four hours?
0: That would be nine. like day one
2: of a multi-day match. Yeah, but it could I, be This, this is
0: responding, I think, to the Polish Open that I shot, which was nine stages yeah. in four hours. Then the mm-hmm. next day was nine stages in 4 hours for a total of
2: 18. Yes. And extreme open euro I shot in Czech Republic was 10, 10 stages in 4 hours.
1: Yes. Yes. Which probably, is probably very all doable. 32 round stages with lots of uh, lots of interesting clusters of 8 8 8 and 8, right? No.
2: <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> no, you but it's sarcastic? not <laughs> it, No, it but like the 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 match that I've talked about had dozens and dozens and dozens of moving targets. There yes. was one stage that didn't have a mover on it. So
1: what's so there the there is still jam, plenty then? of
0: resetting to be done. Is it okay, the reset
1: so, system, Ben? Would that be a good question? Well, the reset
0: system is what makes it faster. They have they, they have the ROs doing the reset. And then on big stages, there's helpers that come along and pace. So, for example, the scorekeeper will go around and and score everything. And the RO that like the the timer RO will be calling off hits. And then as soon as they're done with that, they're putting patches on targets. They don't kind of stand there and look around and wait for competitors to paste. They just paste them. And then if the, as the stages get bigger and bigger, they start assigning more and more helpers to the stages. That's how it worked in that particular case. Um, having dedicated people do resetting is lots, lots faster than having competitors do it. The way that we do it in the US is literally the slowest way you can do it, is where you have a group of competitors, you have the, the squad reset, and then they go to the next stage. And then, you know, there's a lot of times there's hangups while they're trying to figure out how to reset a prop, or maybe nobody walks out there that time. Like mm-hmm. that's the slowest conceivable system, which is why it takes, I mean, it matches tend to take a long time. Like the competitor, like no competitor reset is the fastest system, because you have dedicated staff doing it, but that that staff, since they work the same stage time after time after time, they get into a rhythm and they really get it down and they can reset super fast. Still,
2: um, targets and movers are extremely consistently reset. Yes. And funny thing is, I have never seen calibration uh, when I shot IPSC so far outside the U.S.
1: yet. I was going to ask you about. How yeah, often I don't think I've re-shoots. seen that either. What about reshoots, guys? How often do those happen?
0: Like at the Polish Open, I didn't see one. I just I didn't see one happen out of my squad. Uh,
1: another question, I guess um, is uh, try to say it uh, a delicately way. Is there less questions about the scoring, like the score being correct? I could see that being a hang up there's, also, where mm, they just
0: oh no like there's the, no, like the there's scores
1: no, happen quicker as far as calling the
0: yeah, the whole thing's the it's the whole thing's faster and more efficient.
2: Yeah, so the the one rule in IPSC is you're not able to, like, uh, go outside of the fault line, like in USPSA. Uh, One of the benefit that is, in a stage, most of the shooters end up finishing on the same spot. Does that make sense? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, what that does is during, during the shooting time, shooter shooting, most of the scoring is done during that shooting time as well. So ROs will start, like, what's behind you, as you shoot, move in the front section, uh, arrows are already uh, pasting and scoring and everything. Because uh, in USPSA, sometimes you can go outside of the shooting area and you can go all around the stages and finish in a real place where now you're starting from the left side scoring instead of the right, for example. So the scoring wise, uh, that rule makes it really consistent because you start from the same same place to start. Pasting yeah. In. Right, yeah.
0: Now, I'm not I'm not on the camp or I'm not on the train that says uh, we need to do matches with RO with no competitor reset in USPSA and that, that we have to do that. Um, but the attitude from uh, the USPSA people, we've listened to this uh, like Jake Martin's comments on this and a bunch of other people like they, they seem to think that resetting is part of the sport. Like
1: the, yeah, I find so that being a fizz, of, I find that one.
0: kind. I find that kind of weird. Like I'm not. I'm not down on anybody that doesn't do, that doesn't do staff reset. But if you do staff reset, I really appreciate it. I think it's cool. Yeah. There's a couple section matches in the U.S. that have done it. I Think so.
2: For for sure, pasting is actually part of the culture, not actually mm-hmm. part of part of the athletic event in a way. So like if you're if you're running a race in a circuit. Uh, Wiping down on the circuit is not part of actual athletic event. Athletic event is actually driving. So shooting sport, the actual athletic event is the shooting part. Well, the
0: argument that they would make is they'd say, hey, everybody else is walking out there to reset. So, I mean, it's part of the deal and you get everybody gets tired and worn out equally. That would be the argument.
2: Yes, that would be the problem. Because in order to have a word record, like the fastest run, like, marathon or whatever in order to have the fastest run the conservation of energy is extremely important to have the most you know pushing the human bar of the athletic ability Mm -hmm. and pasting resetting i don't think that's going to help at all uh, to push the athletic boundary human boundaries
1: i don't think these guys are interested in pushing the human athletic boundary kim i agree Sorry, just want to share that part
0: uh, maybe they'll maybe they'll do it. They'll have staff reset someday at nationals, but I uh, I don't I don't think anytime soon. I don't think there's any will to do
1: it. I do like the resetting system. And it's it's way harder
0: time. in this country because we got to actually pay people to do
1: stuff. The reset system with this last or the after you shoot resetting for a couple times is nice though because it does give you plenty of time to to rest a little bit in between. The guys who need to go out there know, and you don't have everybody walk out and stand next to one target kind of and wait for the RO I, to I, by.
0: um what I don't like about the the normal system is that a lot of it is performative like you walk out there just for show it's like you have 12 dudes on the squad it's a 20 round stage like nine people walk out there and you just kind of stand by a target till the RO comes by and pace it's like it's for show it gets kind of silly but that is what we do.
2: And one thing uh, to make the match go faster, uh, the first IPSC match I shot uh, outside US and Canada, Canada was different, uh, was mm-hmm. with Mason and I and Hopkins uh, in the same squad. So all of us doing one of those like, you know, make ready and the holster with the ready gun and then you do one of those visualization before the buzzer, right? With the Before you relax your hands at sides. So we were doing one of those and I saw none of the IPS shooters really doing maybe really briefly but not to the extent we were doing like with the hands up and like looking at there and there and there. and then one arrow got really upset and the arrow told me hey once you you know have the ready ready gun in the holster and hands at the sides you have to go. So Mason and I we both got um, called out twice at least, in two different stages by two different ROs. So by the culture in IPSC, oftentimes I don't see people doing as extensive visualization before the buzzer uh, like in the US. So I think that definitely saves a little bit of time because if if there's 500 shooters in the match and all the 500 shooters visualizing extra one minute per stage, that adds up quick. Sure. Uh, That's why they have the no sight picture rule. That's literally the reason. Mm -hmm.
0: So well, gentlemen, this was another bang-up podcast, a real cracker, I would say. Thank you for coming on. Listeners, if you have a question you'd like the answer to, go to benstiger.com. Send me your question. We would love to hear from you. Yes, indeed.